0: Welcome to Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway, and on today's show, our guest is Daniel Brody. Daniel is the creator and writer of Morgan's Organs. Daniel launched his title through Kickstarter, and if you're not familiar with Kickstarter, it's an online community where artists and writers can get their work funded. It's been around since 2009, and through crowdsourcing, Daniel was able to make his first issue of Morgan's Organs come to life. Daniel's first Kickstarter for issue number one, he raised over $5,500 from 175 backers, reaching 140% of his funding goal. So just what is Morgan's Organs? Well according to Daniel's Kickstarter website, the series focuses on Morgan, as he navigates everyday college life, which is made difficult by the fact that he isn't completely human. Inside his body lives a variety of organ-like characters called Orgonauts, who control his various body systems and ultimately are keeping him alive problem is, these organauts don't always cooperate with the best interests of their host in mind. The stories take place on two levels. Outside, we follow Morgan and his group of friends as they navigate college life. Zoom into his insides and we see how Morgan's struggles are made worse by a group of organ operators who bicker, lie, cheat, argue, act selfish, and generally don't work together as one community. Right now, it looks like Daniel's on his way to having another Kickstarter program successfully funded. There is still time to participate, become a backer of Daniel's campaign, and you can get issues one and two of Morgan's organs by becoming a backer. During our interview, Daniel shares some best practices about running a Kickstarter and fulfilling a Kickstarter. And so, here now is my interview with Daniel Brody on Creator Talks. How are things in Canada?
1: Oh, nice and cold. Cold and windy today.
0: <laughs> got cold here, too. We got a little bit of snow today. And
1: what, what part are you living?
0: I'm in Delaware. Uh, okay. Northern Delaware, like just south of Philadelphia, like like 45 minutes from Philadelphia.
1: Okay, nice. I've been to uh, Dover before.
0: Oh, you have? What brought you to Dover?
1: Yeah. I, uh, I went for the uh, Firefly Music Festival.
0: Oh, man. No kidding. It draws a lot of people from yeah. out of state. And apparently from out of yeah. country too. Awesome.
1: Yeah, that was uh, that was a long drive. That was about uh, that was about a thirteen hour drive. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, I went up to Toronto like in twenty ten, and it was a long drive. I stopped along the way, like you know, on the way up through upstate New York and stuff like that. But uh, I love Toronto. It
1: was really nice. Yeah, it's, it's a good city.
0: People say, "What's it like in Canada?" I say, "It's like a parallel universe USA." A parallel
1: universe, but a little more more stable right now.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. It's not the uh, bizarro USA, bizarro world that we have right now. (laughs) So uh, you've launched your Kickstarter. Yeah, so you started on the 28th, Saturday of January, and it's going to run for 30 days. Morgan's Organs, number two. So tell me, how did you come up with this idea for Morgan's Organs? I understand it came to you in a backpacking trip to Europe. Yeah, uh, And so, we have something uh, in common, because I've always wanted the backpack in Europe, <laughs> so tell me about it.
1: Oh, yeah, sure. So it was, uh, it was 2013, and um, I was just finishing school in Sweden, actually, uh, so I finished off with a 40-day trip before heading home, uh, and I was, in, uh, I was in Amsterdam, of all places, and, and when in Rome things happened, so I was just walking around, and this idea just popped in my head, and uh, you know, it started off as just kind of a silly idea. And, um, you know, I told a few people about it, this idea that, you know, what if, you know, what if, uh, what if we're not completely in control of ourselves? What if there's little things in, in us that, that are in control, you know, and how can we make that funny? And, you know, it's it's not about, you know, it's not about, um, you know, making it PG, it's about being honest. So it's about having characters, you know, like a talking penis and all that things that, have not been explored before those sort of concepts and um you know and how our body parts react to certain things that happen in the world so one day i just decided i'm just going to try to write it i I don't really have any didn't really have any script writing background just uh, creative writing and you know writing in school and for work and all that so i just picked up a book i learned how to do screenwriting um it started off it was supposed to be a tv show um I was, uh, you know, I was, I was mostly in a television writer's uh, online community, sharing my work with others, getting feedback, um, improving the concept. You know, there's so many different ways that I could do it. Um, so, you know, being part of that community really helped me tighten the concept and figure out which method had the most potential and, and created the most humor opportunity. Um, but, you know, I soon realized that, you know, TV is a difficult medium to get into, and I'm shooting myself in the foot by thinking that uh, just because I write something, maybe it's great, maybe it's okay, but just because I write something doesn't mean it's going to get produced. So I started to think, how can I be more proactive? How can I take control of of what happens to this? And and that's when I thought that I should make this as a comic book. It, it works just as well for the medium. Um, so yeah, I just you know I just got into it. I you know I read comics as a kid, but you know I was never uh, I'm a huge, huge into comics, so you know I I kind of tried to immerse myself back in it. Tried to figure out what sort of books I really like. You know, picked up mostly um, indie books as well as Image, and tried to figure out you know how how to write for comics, how how to how to create tension, how to uh, how my book would should look, and what sort of art I imagine. And it's just been a crazy journey of you know trying to find the right artists, trying to grow an audience, and you know here I am. Uh, two years later, two almost four no three to four years later from first thinking about that idea, and uh, it's it's amazing where where it started and where it is now. I never would have thought that uh, it would become such a big part of my life.
0: Yeah, quite a journey, and you covered a lot of stuff there. So I want to back up a little bit and and dig into a few of these. Now you were studying in Sweden. You were finishing up school there. Did you start? your studies in Canada and then finish up? Like, was there a certain portion of your education that was actually based in Sweden that you had to actually take courses over there?
1: Yeah, yeah my, my background's in marketing, so I was going to university in, in a small town, Waterloo. It's, uh, for people of the world, it's uh, the home of BlackBerry, you know, the failed phone company. Oh, yes. Okay. Canada's Silicon Valley, but uh, I did an exchange program in Sweden, so uh, finishing school out there.
0: Now, we do have something in common, because I work in marketing during the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I seriously. Um, me as well. Me as well. All right. Excellent. Very good. Um, and it shows, because I can tell from the way you run your campaign, you know what you're doing. You know how to market it. Um, so, okay. So, you were over in Sweden. And what made you decide to take that, that backpacking trip? I mean, a wise move when you can take it and see the world.
1: Oh, totally. I mean, uh, I'm already halfway across the world, so that flight's already paid for, so... Uh, you know, basically my entire summer before that, I was saving up for this, this trip. So I just, I knew if I don't backpack now, then I'm not going to later. Cause I get back, I start work, you know, it's tough to, it's tough to take take 40 days off at once unless you're, you're, uh, you're fun employed.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So. And uh, you had written initially the idea was to be an animated show, much like Family Guy and a lot of these other popular, more adult oriented cartoons or something that you would see on Adult Swim, Cartoon Network. What was the moment that you said, No, I think I'm gonna pivot and go towards comics instead? I mean, did you receive feedback that was not positive? Was there some advice you were given to go in a different direction? Or was it just you decided, you know what, I think this is the best course I should take?
1: No, it was yeah, it was definitely the latter. Um you know, uh, things uh things were things were, people were enjoying what I was writing there was definitely you know there's definitely a an interest and attraction to what I'm doing but you know t v it's it's a very closed uh it's a very it's a very closed network you know any and there's there's tons of passionate groups out there but all these people are they're sharing their interests on on the on the fringe It's it's tough to actually get to the right people who actually would say more than oh yeah this is great versus let's let's make this Produce. let's get let's get this produced so you know i just started to realize that you know this is kind of a waste of time the uh you know the the method i'm trying to do to get this made i i know i know there's something here i just need to find the people that will help me prove it so that's um that's when i just um that's when i just thought like what else what else can i do with this concept um you know as being someone in marketing obviously i've heard of crowdfunding um you know i I've I've been involved in Kickstarters before, and you know, just the two just kind of clicked for me. I th- I'm sure I, I, there's some inspiration from things that exist in the world. You know, Walking Dead, hearing how that started as a comic and became a TV. Uh, you know, I'm, you know, pipe dream, but I thought that maybe mine can start like that too.
0: You have to dream big. Don't start small, because you can always exactly. scale back, but don't hold yourself back.
1: Exactly. So. Uh, you know, it just, I, there was just one day that it just clicked that, you know, screw this, I'm not writing for TV anymore, I'm going to write as a comic book. You know, I was almost at the point of even trying to hire a uh, uh, a story consultant in Hollywood to, to help me pitch and, you know, I just started to realize, like, that money that I could put towards the potential for something, I could just put that towards an actual something and, you know, more than anything, I wanted to see something on paper or something on screen, I wanted to see this brain character that I created, I wanted to know what he looks like. Instead of the chance for that to happen, I thought I'm going to put all that money that I thought I would put towards, you know, some pipe dream, towards something real, and that's when I, tried. I found an artist and got to work on something bigger.
0: And yes, why languish in development hell for, you know, forever, which can happen to a lot of great projects. They just, you know, there's deals made, but or suggestions made, or you know, I want to get the the rights to option this, and then nothing happens. But at least this way, you can see it come to fruition. Now, exactly. When you got into comics, when you were reading comics, you said you read a lot of indie books and image books. And I I would think... Entering that way versus more of the, what at the time was the mainstream comics, the big two, it might have opened up your mind to the possibilities of what you can do in comics rather than going with just the standard Cape and cow type hero or other heroes that were coming out in, say, the 90s. Was that part of what influenced you? Was just the the experience that you had reading those books with a much more diverse type of characters within them and stories within them?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, as a kid, I, I, I grew up on... You know, Fantastic Four and X Men; those are those are some of my favorites. And you know, I always go to the store and pick up floppies. And you know, event one day, you know, I I, I grew out of the superhero books. But yeah, definitely, you know, the idea that uh, comics don't have to necessarily be superhero oriented or don't have to follow the format that Marvel and DC choose to follow. I I just I saw Image. I saw in, I saw these indie books, and I saw that there's really there really is a lot of alternative voices out there. And and Uh, more thematic and uh, I like to think more, more human sort of books. For me, I I feel a bit disoriented to the superhero culture and I know it's huge in comics, um, but it it just, it's not something that, that, that makes me interested. So, um, you know, I I love funny books too, you know, like the Simpsons I used to really enjoy. I've picked up quite a few Rick and Mortys along the way. Um, so, you know, I, I can see that comics is really a diverse medium, so you don't have to fit into one mold. You can really create your own niche. There's always a person out there. There's, there's no person out there that doesn't enjoy a comic book. Maybe there's people out there that don't enjoy certain formats of it, but there's no person out there that will pick up. There's no comic out there that can't appeal to some person.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of diversity out there now, and there's got to be something that, that appeals to someone, some, some genre within comics. I mean, you have horror, you have mystery, you have the hero fare. There's a lot to pick from. And, um, you know, with your experience and, and background and, and marketing and reading comics, it was a perfect match to come up with your own idea and get it out there. Um, now, right off the bat, it didn't work. I mean, initially, you had some scripts written, and you actually sought out critiques online if you want to share with us the website that you used to get some feedback on your, your scripts.
1: Yeah, totally. I've been, I've been plugging this website every time I, I talk to someone about uh, my journey. It's called talentville.com. Um, it was actually started by um, one of the former founders of uh, Final Draft. And to people who know that, that's basically the de facto screenwriting software on the market. Um, so yeah, this gentleman just started a, started a website where amateur uh, writers could could upload their screenplays, their television shows, whatever. Um, and basically, it's, a, it's sort of a, a virtual marketplace where you review others' work and you receive talentville dollars, and then you put that money towards purchasing other people to read your script. So um, you know you have to give to get, but it's it's um, you know it's free. It, there's there's paid levels, but mostly it can be free to anyone if you want. So it was incredible to um, to find people out there that are so passionate about writing, and that want to see you succeed. Um, and all you have to do is is see the same to them. So, you know, I got on there, I posted my screenplay, I reviewed some scripts, gave honest feedback, and uh, I started to receive honest feedback. And you know, at first it was it was kind of a shot to the ego. Um, you know, probably a bit too much pride going into into the endeavor, thinking the very first script I wrote was pure genius and everyone's going to love it. Um, so you know it was a good shot in the it was a good shot in the heart because um, you know looking back, if I had posted if I had made the comic book out of that first script, uh, I don't think I'd be, have done as well, and I think people would have been more disinterested in in the the project. Um, you know one of the th- to to anyone who's read the book there's there's a real uh, there's a real interaction between the human world and the organ world. In the first script I wrote, it was almost entirely in the organ world, um, and it was very disassociated from. Uh, the human world, and it was it was it was borderline too edgy, um, in terms of just um, it was too edgy in that it didn't have a story that was guiding it. So you know, being part of this site, I learned so much just about writing and about storytelling and and creating characters and you know the the importance of having stakes and having turning points and rising actions and all these things that you know you you don't realize are so important to to a story and to writing that I'm I'm thankful that I had such harsh reviews at first. You know, it took me, I rewrote the pilot in, in four, about four different major revisions, hundreds of moderate revisions, thousands of minor edits. It took a long time. It took almost two years for me to feel comfortable with a script that I wanted to create a comic book out of.
0: And that's not a tremendous amount of time. I mean, it is a long time when you're working on it. But creators need to know going in You're going to have to do multiple iterations I mean that was one of the first things I was told about writing Is put your ego aside And it's hard to because you, you put a lot of time into it You put a lot of effort into it But you're also very close to it And it's good to have someone who knows nothing about what you're writing about Take a look at it and tell you Does it make sense? Can they follow it? Are they engaged in it? So yeah, I mean and now don't Aren't you still involved in that community? Don't they still communicate with you And support your current projects?
1: Yeah, it's amazing. It's, you know, before it, it's, it's a writer's network that turns into a fan network. Uh, there's so many great people on that site who I keep in contact with and who have supported the Kickstarters I've run because you know, now they're not just someone who, uh, who is, is, is part of, part of uh, my writing network. They're someone who actually fully appreciates what I've done, and you know, they, they want to continue to support it as, as a loyal fan would.
0: And so the, the takeaway would be is, gang, don't go it alone. You know there are people out there just like you trying to break in, and actually it's a tight community. You support each other. No one's out to one up the other.
1: Exactly, and um, you know for me, uh, especially with this sort of subject matter, I can admit I was I was kind of embarrassed uh, when I was first writing, especially in in the first iterations. Um, You know I, I wasn't telling many friends or family or anyone about my writing interests. So you know being able to go anonymously online and post and talk to people and and be truthful was, was nice. And, um, you know, I think there's still people who I'm friends with who I'll run into and they're like, Oh, I didn't even know you're doing that. I'm like, yeah, I've been doing it for like three years now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And besides using that site and interacting with that community, was there other research that you did as well to prepare for this comic book?
1: Oh yeah. I did. I did tons of research. I mean, um, uh, to throw out one name, comics launch is just an incredible resource. Uh, listen to most of the podcasts and, um, you know, tons of articles online and, and overall just, um, you know, just trying to do a lot of planning. I didn't, there's nothing that I did for either of these campaigns. That was, that was a shot in the dark, everything. You know, I put a lot of research into it. I had a lot of spreadsheets and, and planning documents and, and I really made sure that, you know, that I had all my bases covered. So, that, you know, there was no surprises. Um, you know, I did take some risks. I mean, I only went into my first Kickstarter with with 90 people on my email list, which, um, you know, it's a pretty, it's a pretty small number. Um, I I'd only been promoting my preview pages for about two months, so I don't recommend that to most creators. So, you know, there was a a level of, of, um, you know, there was a level of ego to the first one and just thinking that, that this concept is strong enough that people are going to discover it and support. And, you know, luckily I, I was, I was somewhat correct. We hit our goal in 11 days for the first one and brought in, 170 people, and on this second one, we're three days in and we're already at 100 people. So, you know, things are things are going well, and um, uh, you know, I'm 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 growing, I'm learning, and I'm growing as I go. After the first Kickstarter, you know, I thought I thought hard about what do I need to do to continue to propel, because you know, as as much as uh, as much as I enjoy what I'm doing and I'm taking risks, there's only a certain level that you know I want to take, and if I'm seeing that these campaigns don't continue to To hold themselves so they don't grow there's not a growing fan base then that's when you have to start asking yourself the the hard questions you know is this worth it is this what you want to keep on doing um so you know i put a lot of time into making sure the second one would do well um you know getting booths at artist alley i went to toronto fan expo which is the biggest one in canada um you know had almost basically doubled the, the people the number of people who supported the first kickstarter um and i went into the second campaign uh, with 500 people on my e- email list, so it's amazing how much how much there is that you can do to grow your fan base um, outside of Kickstarter, as well as um, you know the importance of having a plan and and uh, having a strategy.
0: Well, having a successful first issue designed done and delivered and communicating to your supporters throughout the process so if there's any slight delays they know about it really builds a lot of trust with your audience and then that good word of mouth gets around that hey you know what daniel delivers on this project he just didn't like get funded and then oops it's going to be you know it's not going to happen um mm-hmm. it actually came through so i would think that alone would help build your your base quite a bit if you could do it over if you were starting from scratch again, how much lead time would you give yourself because you know you only had a couple of months before you launched it um, after you had everything together. but how much lead time do you think people should allow themselves?
1: Uh, you know I, I think I read a lot out there you know give yourself six months to a year. I think the more time you can give yourself, the better, but you need to be doing productive things during that during that time you know you can't just you can't just post your comic on on social media, on community boards, and um, and just expect that it's gonna your your audience will continue to grow. During that time of, of planning and and uh, waiting to launch, you need to be doing productive activities to help yourself. So for me, I mean, I I didn't feel that I had too much more productive activities I could do before I launched the first one outside of you know the ways I've been trying to grow the network. If you're gonna plan for when you're gonna launch, you need to know what you're gonna do in the meantime to to grow to grow interest and you know unfortunately a lot of things a lot of things cost money so you got to know what your budget is what you're willing to put in to for the risk of what you're going to get because um you know these things are not they're not they're not things you can go into a zero budget if you go into a zero budget your your roi is not going to be what you need it to you need to put skin in the game and you have to you have to put it in effectively you have to know what you're spending it on and, and what's the best way to gain new fans.
0: Now, you had an artist initially picked for the book. I don't want to name names, but um, that didn't work out. You went with Robert Jennings. And uh, what was, I mean, without saying who the first person was, yeah. what was it? Was it the style? Was it the deliverability of the work? What was the, the problem?
1: Uh, I think very much in, in indie comics, uh, you, need, you need a partner, okay? Not a business partner. And that's what, uh, that's what the first um the first relationship was more like you know very much uh you know this is the page rate revisions will be this amount extra items will be this amount um it just didn't feel it didn't feel right for for my vision for the book you know i want someone who who wants to grow with me um who wants to take risks with me and you know be a learning process versus just a, a business transaction um plus uh i i just i, did, I didn't feel the the art was uh, the vision i was going for um you know I think art is ninety percent of art is 90 percent of what someone judges when they when they pick up a book and decide to read it a story is what keeps someone from coming back but I think the art is 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 the most important thing at first glance so I need someone who who really uh, really expressed the vision I was going for uh, so you know I just did some searching online and I was incredibly lucky to to come across Robert and even better he's Canadian so it's it's nice to work with a, a fellow Canadian a fellow Canuck,
0: was there a particular site that you used to find him?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's called Upwork. It's, uh, it's just a general freelancer site. He was actually the only person I reached out to. Uh, I, asked, I sent him a, a preview of my first book. There's some uh, interesting scenes. So he said uh, those first couple images caught him right away. And um, I asked him if he'd draw the brain character. Uh, and he did, and he absolutely nailed the character. So I said, I know we need to work together.
0: So um, you want someone that, first of all, has a good business sense and can explain their page race, etc. But that's not the end of it right there. I mean, it has to be someone that can capture your idea, your vision. And like you say, it's true. I mean, what initially draws me into a book is how it looks on the outside. I mean, let's face it. We do judge a book by its cover, literally, when we go to the comic shop. Or we're even looking online to support a project. If I see something that is... The sample art is shoddily done. It's not quite there yet. It's someone that needs some more work before they can really come out and, and launch their own book. But if I, that first initial draft, that first those first few preview pages will look polished and professional, um, then I'm in. You know, it, it piques my interest, and I'm willing to give it a shot.
1: No, totally. It's it's um, it's really important, especially for Kickstarter, to have uh, to have really strong preview pages. You know, especially because that's, that's typically all, all uh, writers are, are willing to put in for skin in the game, which is just which is completely fine. I mean, that's all I wanted to put in for the first book. And um, you know, I did a bit more for, for the second one. But um, yeah, those preview pages, it's really important to start off strong with, with how you set up your story and how you, uh, you know, portray your, your, your vision and your style.
0: And folks need to realize that, you know, yes, when you go into a comic shop or a bookstore, there might be a lot of books on the racks and there's a lot of space you have to fight for so that you stand out from the rest. And But with Kickstarter, it's much the same way. I mean, there's a lot of projects out there and how can you stand out from the rest? So it's it's different than going into a comic book shop, but it's a project that needs to be backed or wants to be backed online and it still has a lot of competition as well. I mean, there must be at least... I would say, from when I looked, about 150 to almost 200 comic-based projects on Kickstarter alone. That's only one funding site. I mean, there's GoFundMe, there's IndieGoGo, there's others. But just that one site alone, you've got a couple, almost a couple hundred running at any one time.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's it's amazing how much um, you know, how much voice, how much how much ear you're you're competing for, and and how you know how how little voice you really have. Right now, I think there's about 130 on, so I'm happy of the time I chose to launch. Um, you know, last year when I launched, there was about 200. So there's even more products that you're, you know, I, I don't want to use the word competing because Kickstarter creators are, are we're all we're all friends. You know, in my first one, I was talking to, you know, about five five to eight creators who were create, who were launching at the same time as me. We were supporting each other's projects, talking about what was going well, what wasn't. So you know it's it's very much uh it's very much a community a community space you know you're not really competing but, um, you know you still need to be able to define yourself in a very small amount of space and and in a very short amount of time so, uh you know you have to you really have to nail it in in the things that you choose to present like for example for my second book, um you know I've done a bit of reading online saying that, um you know informing people that you're launching. Uh, the second book of your series, or third book, or whatever—it's—it's it's a deterrence because you're basically telling people you're already behind. You have to catch up. You have to spend more to catch up. It's not worth your time. So you know, it—it's a detractor from people clicking. For me, I just set up the pages as as the name of the book, Morgan's Organs. That's it. And when people click through, then they can discover, you know, oh, this is book one's already created. This one is more about finding book two. Um, you know, but there's that interplay of oh, it's each book is standalone, so I could. I can pick up book one, go to book one, book two later. Um, so, you know, it's it's very much you have to position yourself uh, in the best way possible.
0: And what have you learned about building your audience? Because that's a tough thing to do for any creator. Um, what are some of the things that you've found that work very well to build that audience?
1: Um, I, I really think that it comes down to... to to really taking ownership and showing passion for what you do, as well as realizing that when someone invests in what you do, they're they're almost they're almost 50% investing in, in who you are, not just what they see on paper. You know, when I when I did um, Toronto Fan Expo, the Artist Alley, you know, I, I've I've never gone to uh, one of these comic conventions before, let alone sold at one, and it was it was amazing how quickly I learned just how important I was to the process of bringing in a fan. I, I'm very much a, a, you know, a, a personable person. So, you know, I was, I was standing the entire time talking to people, asking them, you know, you know, relatable questions related to my book to see if they, you know, piqued their interest and want to flip through pages. And I realized that, you know, I'd be standing for two, three hours at a time and I'd be exhausted and I'd take a seat and drinking water. And that's when I realized that that's when nobody comes by when you're sitting, when you're not engaging It's very much about you and how you interact with others versus expecting people to come towards you. I probably would have brought in only about 30 people who actually approached my booth at first glance versus I had almost 150 to 200 people come by the booth because I was talking, I was engaging, I was showing myself and how excited I am about what I'm putting out for them.
0: That's interesting uh, because when I was at a con and I was interviewing people, um, some looked me in the eye and engaged and said, hey, how are you? You want to check out my new book? And they started explaining it to me. I'm like, hey, that looks pretty cool. Would you mind if I interviewed you? They're like, sure. And others were sitting there diligently working. And it tended to be more the, the artists and the writers, but they didn't really engage. And they seemed nice enough, but they didn't really reach out. And if you don't, there's so many people there, you'll get passed by. And they'll just oh, go totally. to the next table. Yeah,
1: Very much so. And it's not just about selling at these events. It's about... Uh, creating creating friendships, creating community. I mean, if someone comes by and they really love the book and they don't buy one, I, I'd happily give them a poster or maybe I'll even give them a book. If someone comes by, they buy a book, they're asking me a lot of questions, I'll happily add on another thing to their book because it's not just about selling and creating a transaction. You're creating a fan interested in, in what you're doing in the long term.
0: That's so true. It's those little touches that the creators do at cons that go a long way because they are, they are building a relationship. And you'll remember that person. You'll meet a lot of people there, but you'll remember that conversation. You'll remember that one little, I want to do a little doodle for you or something like that or give you a poster. Just that mm-hmm. one little extra step. It's well worth the time. And you've, you've taken the extra step literally uh, with this project because some creators... They don't figure out their, their postage correctly, and you've taken a, um, a unique approach to making sure the books get shipped on time and uh, cost effectively. Why don't you share that with
1: us? Uh, yeah, um, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm lucky to live within two hours of the U.S. border, uh, so instead of you know charging the, the higher shipping fee to to send it from Canada to U.S., which is you know where the majority of, of my, uh, my fans would be. I'm actually driving over the border to to ship the books each time, so that I can basically build in the, the shipping cost, um, to, so I can basically cut out the shipping cost. You um, as a Canadian backer, it's tougher for me to want to back an American uh, Kickstarter because the the shipping I'm paying is so crazy. Um, you know, it's almost it's almost double the value. So you know, for Amer- for the U.S. and the Canada backers, the shipping is free, and for international backers, I set it up that. The higher you go and pledge, the lower your shipping becomes. Um, so, that basically, if you jump from one level to the next level, you're you're paying almost almost no difference in in price because your shipping has gone down. Um, so, you know, it's about it's about recognizing that um, you know you're not doing this just to get people's money. You're doing it to to create a fan, and sometimes to create a fan, you need to meet them halfway. So, for me, um, I'm thankful for anyone. Outside of North America, who chooses to pick up a book, and um, you know, I do what I can to 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 make it that much more enticing for the person.
0: Printing of the book too, you had that printed in China, and you found that to be a rather cost-effective way to go about it as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I, I, was, I was looking to print in Canada and U.S. Um, um, but uh, I also wanted to, you know, I wanted to print like like almost double the extra books that I would have um, books that I could share at uh, at, at the comic cons. Um, but it was tough to get a price that, uh, that I felt comfortable with. Um, you know I, I like supporting local vendors, but uh, it's tough to get good prices in Canada and exchange rate just hasn't been great for us uh, lately. Uh, so actually it was um, a manufacturer reached out to me in China and they they showed me proof of other books they had printed that were Kickstarter books. so uh, I started a relationship with them and um, yeah, they did a really great job for for the first one. So um, uh, yeah, might be returning for for the second one i I did find a local vendor actually who reached out to me who's uh who might be able to match the price so you Uh know loves canadians but uh yeah it was uh i definitely recommend uh recommend checking out you know china china printer options if you're looking to you know save money it's it's not uh it's not sketchy like like you might think especially if you go through (laughs) one of those services like alibaba there's a lot of protection for you
0: what's their turnaround time like
1: it was actually really good. It was, it, was about, um, it was about two to three weeks.
0: Oh. Yeah. And the quality was really good.
1: Oh, thank and you. I was yeah. re- very impressed. Yeah, I'm really happy with how it turned out. Um, you know, I'm seeing a lot more lately that, uh, that comic books are going with uh, text covers, you know, so there's no, there's no feel of quality to the cover. So for me, it was really important, you know, to have a thicker cover, um, you know, because it's, uh, you know, it gives, it gives the book a bit more value. Um, and then the other thing that was really important to me is, um, you know, how can I create the same book but give it additional exclusivity or rarity or value? And for me, it didn't make sense to do, you know, variant comic book covers. I, I, I'm not really a fan of that idea that you're asking people to choose between alternatives. Instead, I came up with this, this product, a, a book sleeve for a comic book similar to a hardcover book sleeve. That's an add-on to your book. So, uh, you know, you can get a basic book uh, or you can get this book sleeve that has a foreword with some more info about the book, and it's exclusively numbered to yours, and I'm only ever printing 150 and never printing again. So, you know, it's, it's things like that to try to deliver enhanced value to people.
0: And it was a quality wrap too, that went with that. And I'll tell you, nothing's more maddening to me than when I looked at the Diamond Catalog And there are variant covers because invariably, you know, my comic shop is great, but things get mixed up sometimes. You know, I don't get Mm -hmm. the right cover, and then I want that cover, and it's sold out. And sometimes you don't have any choice in the cover you get. There's, like, four different covers, and you'll get one of the four. You can't even select the one that you want, so... You know, it's too much choice. Uh, So, yeah, Yeah. make one good cover that everyone can get. No one's left out. It's not some crazy uh, 1 in 50 or 1 in 200 covers. So, you know, the one solid cover looked great. And uh, now you're on the number two. So why Mm -hmm. don't you tell us uh, what we're doing with uh, this particular Kickstarter for issue number two. I know that um, you can get issue one and two by pledging, but there's also other levels as well.
1: Yeah, so so for anyone new to the series... uh the the basic pitch is uh, Pixar's Inside Out for grown-ups. Instead of a body run by human emotions, there's these organ critters that run around the body, and uh, they they basically uh, have have complete influence on on their master. Uh, his name's Morgan. He's a university student, a bit awkward, a bit shy, but mostly he's he's uh, he gets himself into into bad situations, and you can't blame him fully because he's controlled by these little guys inside of him that act, uh, selfishly and, and don't act as a community. So, uh, you know, as much as it's, um, you know, as, as much as it's, it's quirky, it's, uh, it's very much has like a, an almost the office sort of feel and that it's about, uh, you know, people working together, except these people are hearts and brains and, and penises. So, uh, so the second book, um, the first book took a more sex oriented approach, looking at, you know, exploring how, you know, how, uh, how people's, uh, urges come, where pe- people's urges come from and how people make decisions. Uh, the second one, I'm, I'm going completely different, you know, getting away from, from that sort of, uh, storyline. And, and this one's about, uh, Morgan, he swallows something that he shouldn't. While well, the first one was a, a focus on the brain and, uh, and the penis. This one is, is more of a focus on, on the stomach and, uh, the, the intestines and the, the you know, the, uh, the entire process from from mouth to from mouth to out, you know. So it's uh, it's going to be funny. Uh, uh, it has some pretty crazy scenes in it. Some uh, hopefully some laugh out loud moments. And um, you know, one of the big things about my books is is uh, is I, I make sure that they're they're a real story. So it's they're both 40 pages long, um, almost double the length of most comic books. And it's it's partly because of my TV background. Um, you know, I wrote both of these to be TV scripts. So once I had that full TV sort of sitcom structure, you know the, the teaser, the Act one, two, three, and the tag, that's when I then broke it down into a book and and the best I could do is is the 40 page length.
0: And that's a that's a very good solid length for a book. And, um, and it is for adults. Um, the, and this podcast is ready to clean and if you notice we're using anatomically correct and medically correct terms here. so no, no vulgarities. You yeah, know, it's yeah. all on the up and up. There's Grey's Anatomy here.
1: And no swear words in the book. <laughs> no, 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 there's not. There's not a single swear word. <laughs> there are other things.
0: <laughs> so you're working closely with Robert right now. Um, what else is he cooking up for us on the second issue?
1: Oh, there's... Uh, so this is, this is Rob's first comic book, too. So, you know, it's, it's been a, a learning process for us both. Um, so you know one of the really exciting things with this next one is there's just so much more variety to, to the panel layouts, more full spread art, well, not not full spread, but full page artwork, bleed. Um, it's just just some really interesting page layouts. Um, and it's it's gonna be really interesting to see uh, uh, what what the final piece comes out as. We have uh, it's, we have about 30, 30 pages penciled so far. He's just finishing this up now, and then uh, he'll get started on inks as the Kickstarter uh, keeps on going.
0: It's amazing this is his first comic book work because, again, it's in the cartoon style, folks, but, I mean, it looks really good. I mean, it's hard to believe he hasn't been doing I mean, he's been an artist for a while, I'm sure, but yeah. for his first comic work, sequential artwork, it's very good.
1: Yeah, I know. It's, it's amazing what um, what he's capable of. He's, he's a great guy. We, we try to Skype, you know, every few months to, you know, make it more personable, but mostly we, we just communicate over uh, Facebook Messenger and, and use some Dropbox. But, yeah, he's a great guy and uh, really happy to be partnering with him again on this one.
0: And tell us about a few of the levels here, because I know that one of the levels, one of the high tiers, you actually have some plushies.
1: Yeah, yeah. I um, I, I found a I found a company. They were actually on the uh, the TV show Sharks Den, if you've uh, if you've heard of that one with uh, Mark Cuban. Um, so yeah, they're a company that uh, they'll take your kid's drawing and they'll turn it into uh, into a plush toy. So I thought that was pretty cool. So I just reached out to them, told them about my book, um, you know, said like, hey, I want to create some plush toys. If you guys would be interested to help, and uh they were happy to you know um, they, they they disassociate from the content but uh they're they're happy to create my characters so i've I've had characters created for the brain the heart uh the kidneys, the appendix, and already a few people have selected uh the the plush toy level, so I'm excited to see what um what organs they choose to make
0: that's awesome that's really cool. And, of course, there are many other levels, too. And, you know, even though this is going to run through um, February and you're close to meeting your goal, there are are there going to be stretch goals included as well?
1: Yeah. Um, I haven't announced it yet, but uh, just like the first campaign where we're going to do uh, character stickers again. Um, I mean, my thing is I try not to overcomplicate things by having too many stretch goals um, you know, I'd, I'd prefer to to reward Robert for his incredible amount of work. I mean, it takes him almost 20 hours to do each page versus you know adding more kitschy things to the book. So, um, you know, definitely stickers and maybe maybe one one or two more levels. But um, you know, for the most part, I think just focusing on on the next step, which would be hopefully a book three, and hopefully one day a TV series.
0: No, that's cool because it's it's. Easy to fall into the trap of adding too many stretch goals, and you can actually wind up in the red if you're not careful. So, carefully selecting those few extra add ons because, after all, your supporters are really interested in your main book, your main product that you have on Kickstarter. If you add too much, it gets, I agree, it gets way too complicated. And sometimes I don't even know how to do an add on for some projects, you know, some of the uh, Kickstarters, so I don't know what to do.
1: I mean, I think, I think one of the worst ones you can do is say if we hit a certain level, we're going to have the next book published. I mean, that's such a, a crazy thing to, to offer. So, um, yeah, you know, you, have to, you, have, you want to be realistic and you want to focus on your core product. So, you know, at best you enhance the core item that people are receiving um, and don't go too far into the fringe.
0: Good advice. Very good advice. Anything else that you would want to distill down for our listeners? Uh, lessons learned from doing Kickstarter. I mean, what have you picked up especially from the first one that you've carried over to this Kickstarter?
1: Um, I think the main thing is you, you really have to approach this as as your personal brand. I mean, you cannot you cannot operate a Kickstarter outside of yourself. You are you're just as much what's being invested in as the product itself. So, if you don't if you don't feel that you you're ready to make the financial commitment, then then don't rush it. Um, the worst you can do is rush it and, and be in the hole and and feel a sense of failure or rejection. You know, you know, do you got You got to do right, and the best way to do that is to to be patient um, and to to meet people, to to make friend, friends and fans, and yeah, just don't rush it.
0: And so, if this one's successful, and it looks like it's going to be. And uh, you're able to go on to number three, do you have a certain number of issues in mind because these are, after all, like you said, a standalone story each one, so you can mm-hmm. pick you don't have to wait a year in between issues
1: yeah, exactly I mean um, yeah, I mean you know every every day I'm thinking about what's the future of this where where's the end game because I don't want there to be end game, but you know at the same time uh, there's things that need to happen you know for one i really I really want to get picked up by by a publisher, whether it's image or or, or boom or any of those guys, I think. I think I really need a publisher to get behind this to to create longevity to it, because um, you know we we did we are operating right now on one book a year, which um, uh, you know I'd love to be able to do more than that. Um, but, you know, it's about uh, it's about Rob's time. It's about making sure he can, you know, he can make a living off of all this. Uh, so yeah, we definitely have a, a third book, you know, in the works. I'm, I'm thinking about which story I want to write right next. Um, I have about twelve different storylines brewing in my mind right now. Um, so yeah, it is definitely a standalone story. So there really is so many different places I can go with the next one. Um, you know, one thing I, I try to do with each of the books as well is give a taste for the future. So uh, I won't give spoilers, but uh, if you remember in the first book, the final couple pages end with, with a taste for where the book can go. And, uh, I hope to end this next one also with a taste for, for where the future potential can lie. So yeah, I mean, still trying to figure out, just, still trying to figure out this book and then see what, what I can do next about it.
0: And do you think that, you know, after getting a couple more issues done, you think you might take a shot at uh, trying to get your books published through Diamond, either collected or individually?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've already talked to Diamond. They've already accepted uh, my first book, um, but it, it didn't feel right at the time. Um, you know, that they have, they have some tough minimums that they want you to hit, so uh, I'm already in discussion with them. Just got to figure out when it truly makes the most sense. I mean, I hope one day to do a trade paperback, to collect uh, the volume, um, and hopefully include one of the a new issue in that, so that it's not just collecting; it's it's new content as well. Um, but at the same time, I think that because it's 40 pages, um, I don't want to create a book that is just a reiteration of of books that already exist. So I'd rather keep making individual books than to collect everything, you know, just. Creates a you know a bundle pack and so that you can get all five floppies. So
0: if people are interested in checking this out, seeing what it's like, and, and right on there, folks, is preview art. And this is a proven product. It's been back before, and backers have come back for the second one. So we, you have a lot of return supporters. So um, if you want to check it out, you go to Kickstarter.com, and then you just put in Morgan's organs, and it'll yeah. pop right up.
1: There you go. Um, if even easier, you can also just type in ks.morgansorgans.com and it'll redirect you right to the link.
0: Awesome. Well, I urge people to check it out. And Daniel, thank you so much for joining us this week on Creator Talks.
1: Thank you. I appreciate being here. Thank you for having me.
0: And that wraps up my interview with creator Daniel Brody and his book, Morgan's Organs. Number two, now being funded through Kickstarter, you can still jump on board by the end of the month and participate and get issues one and two. It looks like Daniel's gonna make it all the way to funding and reach some of his stretch goals. So don't delay, join now. Now it is an adult comic book, so it's not for kids. It does have its own charm to it. There are no vulgarities, but again, it is an adult comic book, so just being forewarned so you don't go out and buy that for the kiddies. And well, I'm just getting started this week. This is just the first podcast you're going to hear. The next one coming up is also from a Canadian creator, also from Toronto, and that'll be out this Thursday. I will be speaking to writer Jim Zub. Now, you are probably familiar with Jim Zub's work. He's a writer for Marvel Comics and he also has written books published by Image Comics, and he'll be with us this week to speak about his upcoming trade paperback published by Image Comics, Glitter Bomb. So please come back and join me then to hear that great interview. You can reach me on Facebook at Creator Talks Pod, and on Twitter at Creator Talks Pod as well. I have previous interviews both on video and written on my website, CreatorTalks.com. That's CreatorTalks.com. And a few times a week I'll be posting a blog, particularly blogs about the podcast with chapter markers and show notes. There are a lot of podcasts out there and a lot to choose from. And I thank you for choosing this one. For Creative Talks, I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time.